From thezebrablog.com, welcome to Before and After, the Furniture Refinishing Podcast. I'm Lane Ball. It's hard work to strip down a piece of furniture. It's not for the faint at heart. You have to really be in it to win it when it comes to, you know, scrubbing maybe something that has some tobacco damage to it. You know, it's been in a smoke-filled home or, you know, it really needs to be cleaned or it was sitting in a barn for many years. So, I mean, not that I don't enjoy that part, but that's really the hardest part, I think. Today, we're chatting with Jillian of Refine Design by Coco Claire. Jillian is an accomplished furniture refinisher, has won multiple awards, and was a judge last year in Zebra's Before and After Furniture Refinishing Contest. Today we're going to learn more about Jillian, her family, her work, a few of her pieces, which by the way will be highlighted on the zebrablog.com's podcast page, and discuss to stain or not to stain. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi Jillian, thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to be here. We're going to talk about a few of your pieces, as well as discuss to stain or not to stain. But first, we want to learn more about you. Now, you're married with three children, I believe. I actually have four children. My oldest um, will be 21 this year. Um, He's off at college. And then I have three young girls, all really close in age. My oldest girl and my middle girl are 16 months apart, and then the middle and the baby are 14 months apart. So um, we got a full house. Well, you do. And uh, that means you're really experienced if you have um, four kids. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, you learn something new every day. They, they continue to challenge you. And um, because there's a 15-year gap, I was a mom of one child for very long. And uh-huh. uh, so you learn, you learn a whole new set of skills when you become a parent of multiple children. Sure. So I'm sure you probably remember that. You know, when you have your first child, you're, it's so new, you know, like you've never experienced this before and everything, the, the level of apprehension is really high. <laughs> but then as you have more children, you know, you just become more experienced and you just become more comfortable with it. But uh, yeah. well, that's great. Congratulations on four kids. That's excellent. Yeah, thanks. Now, your the name of your business, uh, Refined Design by Coco Claire, was that name influenced by your girls? Yeah, so when we um, we were kind of brainstorming names, I we kind of decided, and we did like you know old school brainstorming where we wrote things down on paper, and I had my parents kind of helping, and we kind of landed on refined design, and then really shortly after I had kind of started, somebody locally had a very very similar name, and we live in a small community, so it was kind of interesting, and people were getting a little confused, and um, at the time I only had the two girls and my older son, and um, we decided to change the name um, to include the girls, and my older son wasn't so inclined to be a part of that. He was like, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) you know, being that age, he wasn't really into it. So we did the girls. And um, at that point, we, we didn't really think that just a few months later, we would be pregnant with our third girl. And so we switched it on Facebook and went through all the um, steps Mm -hmm. to do that. You can only change your name once on Facebook. So now my mom always tells me like, you'll have to, you'll have to have an amended business to include the baby. (laughs) Yeah. So, right. <laughs> um, so it's the two girls, and yes, the name was inspired by them. Now, does your husband help uh, in your business in any way? I was just talking to a girlfriend, and we were 
just recently moved and having to shift some of what we had established over the course of a couple of years um, in starting our business and just how we operate. I was telling her we're now doing more work outside than we were doing in our home. And um, I'm like, yeah, it's nice to not have to bring pieces to the basement. And I was like, you know, it would be Matt and I in, in our basement stairwell standing up six foot buffets standing upright because we had a turn (laughs) she goes oh my god well if that's not if that's not relationship building i don't know what (laughs) is And I was like, you like hit the nail on the head because, Mm -hmm. you know, you get into a relationship with your spouse and you learn all how to work together. You know, you come as individuals. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit older when we got married. And so, you know, you learn to work together in a relationship. And then all of a sudden starting a business is a whole new skill set of working together. Mm -hmm. So um, we've learned a lot and it's been really great actually for our marriage, just learning how to cooperate and pull what's really what each other really do best um, mm-hmm. and then come together and utilize that. So yes, he does help. He does all the pickups and deliveries and helps me move things. And then it's turned into him doing some modifications. Um, he actually comes from some great woodworking hands. So his, my mm. father-in-law is great. And my mm-hmm. brother-in-law actually went to college to build guitars um, so they're wow. both really experienced with woodworking. And so he's helped me do some modifications along with my father-in-law. And then it's turned into even at one point I was like, go on to this. Um, I don't know how you, what you would call it, but like a platform to buy furniture. Mm-hmm. And I had wanted him to negotiate buying this buffet for me. And so I got him on to offer up and maybe a couple days later, he was like sending me text messages like you'll never believe what I saw it's this you know and so I was like oh he likes this part I didn't realize and where I get really emotional about a piece of furniture like I just have to have it and so whatever the price is I'm like I'm there I'll get it I'll take it (laughs) my husband is not as like hard emotional about it so Mm -hmm. he can be a little bit more objective and have a better negotiating skill about him so and he loves finding stuff and he's really great at it so that's been kind of one of the newer things that he started doing yeah that, that's terrific so he's really your scout and then a negotiator that's uh that probably <laughs> yeah. takes a lot off of you as well you know to, to have him doing that i'm sure it's a huge help it's been great and it really it helps him feel really connected to the project then mm-hmm. you know because he's it's maybe something that he's found or picked picked out and um mm-hmm. so he feels like part of that creative process too Whereas before, he, if he was just delivering, he's not as invested in that particular vision. Um, so mm-hmm. it's been really kind of fun that way. So what got you into furniture finishing? I actually ran a retail store. I was with Express, which is a specialty retailer for men and women for many years. Retail life is a hard life and it's not for everybody, but we, you know, I had my first daughter and then we weren't really expecting to get pregnant so quickly after Um, we started kind of considering what was about to happen to us (laughs) and thinking about just can we really manage going back with me being there full time and the type of hours and what it takes to kind of be the boss and so we were kicking around some ideas of what maybe I could do to help bring in income still but be at home before we um sorry just let my dog in who has to be near me at all times Oh, that's um, what kind of dog is it? He is a border collie mix. We rescued him, and he is just my little. He thinks um, he thinks 
I had him too. <laughs> <laughs> and you can probably hear him in the background, but um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so we um, so we're kind of going to go in a different direction. And I was home, and I was in that nesting period, and just was really desiring to get my house ready. I was feeling like I needed a creative outlet, and so I had this idea to get you know some furniture, and I kept making it into this business. And so I was reading a ton of blogs and really trying to decide if I could do this. I kind of brought it to my husband and he's like, I thought we were going to watch kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> I Like, what are you doing? And, and by this time, Clara had come home. And so I was starting to feel like, I don't know if I can have more kids here during the day. I think I'm at my max at the moment. I needed more of an adult outlet than having more kids. And so mm -hmm. I had kind of had this idea and I was like, honey, can I have a hundred dollars to invest in furniture? <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I bought, you know, a hundred dollars worth of vintage furniture and I did a coffee table and a set of nightstands and they sold right away and we were kind of excited and it just kind of built from that. So how many years have you been doing uh, furniture refinishing? So we started selling pieces in 2014. So it's been about okay. five years. That's great. What what part of refinishing would you say is your favorite part? I just love quality, beautiful furniture. And I love being able to give that a new special life. It's just that simple. I mean, um, mm -hmm. I, there's plenty of beautiful furniture today, but it's just not all of it is made like it was 50 yeah. years ago. 70 years ago, 100 years ago, and the story and the craftsmanship that goes behind that is just so cool to me. And so to really allow people to enjoy maybe a special piece that was handed down from a grandmother or something that had been in their family for a long time that as much as they had a sentimental attachment to, they just didn't really love it in their home. Um, and to be able to kind of combine both of those things, I think mm -hmm. is so cool. And I really enjoy that. When you think about refinishing, and, and I would even say from the, you know, I know your husband, sort of your scalp. But I'm sure you still probably look for pieces too. You probably always have your eyes open for, for new pieces to refinish. But from that aspect of like shopping to, you know, to the actual stripping of the paint, uh, any repairs to the staining and painting, to the staging, to the actual selling and dealing with the customer, what, what part of all of that would you find the most challenging? It's hard work to strip down a piece of furniture. It's not for the faint at heart. You have to mm -hmm. really be in it to win it when it comes to, you know, scrubbing maybe something that has some tobacco damage to it. You know, it's been in a smoke-filled home or, you know, it really needs to be cleaned or it was sitting in a barn for many years. So, I mean, not that I don't enjoy that part, but that's really the hardest part, I think. Is do you ship your pieces or is it, do you just sell locally? Yeah, we do. And we've been doing it now for a couple of years, but it took some time to feel confident in doing something like that and comfortable to research and making sure that we were ready to take that step. But it's been a wonderful thing and we've had good business from it. It's been successful. I mean, it's opened up a bigger net of people that we can reach. So that's been another yeah. really kind of cool um, aspect of our business. So we've had pieces, you know, go as far as California and to the other coast. And that's always a fun thing. Like this piece is now going to be in DC. Like how yeah. cool is that? That's exciting. That's exciting for you to know that. And to, uh, you need your little map with uh, little push pins <laughs> to show yeah, where, where all your really pieces cool. are. 
Yes, yeah. that is that would be a really fun thing to do. Well, let's take a few moments and discuss a few of your projects. And let's begin with your favorite piece, or at least I, I assume it's still your favorite piece. It's the Vintage Bernhardt Buffet. I believe it was posted on your Instagram account in November of 2017. Tell us about this beautiful buffet. Well, this is just one of those buffets that, first of all, I mean, what a gorgeous piece of furniture to begin with. We picked it up and I just knew that the color, it was beautiful, but it just needed a fresh update. And I just could mm -hmm. not bring myself to paint it. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I knew that it was just almost too orange. And I really wanted to keep it as original as I could. And so I kept kind of going back and forth. And I just thought to myself, okay, I'm going to just use the little, the littlest bit of paint I can. And I'm going to try to darken this finish and make it have mm -hmm. a richer appearance um, and kind of tone down that orange. And so I was using General Finishes product. I love their products. They're so versatile. They work in a mm -hmm. lot of ways because they're, you can combine their stains and they have water-based stains and oil-based stains, milk paints and top coats. And in combining some of those things, you can come up with really custom look and things that mm -hmm. work for you. And so, yeah, so I, I use the, a small amount of paint. I use a technique that mimic stain and what we got was this really cool finish and it was probably to date my most popular finish and the most popular thing that people ask me to do so so it's a stain and paint mix this is a paint mm -hmm. and then depending on so we've done it we've recreated it on several different pieces but depending on and i get asked sometimes well how do you know like how much and if you mix the paint and what top coat and so it sort of mm -hmm. depends on what I start with and the color I get from mixing the paint with the original finish. So in this particular case, I mix some lamp black and I use some dark chocolate to get the color that I was going to put over this kind of pecan stain finish. And then once I got that applied, this particular piece, I used a mixture of some antiquing wax and some black wax. Um, and that's how we finished it. And then once we started recreating it, we used this process over, you know, a redder base or a more medium brown. And so sometimes I add a little of the brown paint in, sometimes I don't, sometimes I tone my top coat. And if we are shipping a piece, I tend not to go for a wax finish. I think that they get handled so much on a long mm -hmm. journey that I prefer to use a water-based top coat. And something in a flat finish would mimic that um, waxed look. And so sometimes I will tint the top coat to bring out a color that I need. So if the piece is still looking a little too red, I might tint it with a little dye stain, um, like a medium brown dye stain to kind of bring out a little bit more richness. Sometimes I tint it with a little amber to mimic like an oil-based top coat, although I haven't used an oil-based top coat because mm -hmm. most oil-based top coats will amber over time. So it really sort of depends on the base color I'm starting with. And I know that that was kind of a convoluted answer. Sure. Well, it certainly demonstrates the, the level of science involved in, you know, knowing the stains and the different colors of stains, but also knowing the paints and what you're able to emulate through the paints and to be able to mix them in such a way that you can achieve the results that you want. The, the legs on this piece they ha they do have a, a bit of, at least I, from what I can tell in the photograph, a little more of an orange tint to them, which really is uh, such a cool 
contrast to the body of the piece were the were those legs the original color or did you do something to those as well yeah so those were the original color and we cleaned them and sand real lightly sanded them and then we top coated Mm -hmm. them with again some antiquing wax to kind of give that variegation and kind of look of age on them even though the piece is vintage um sometimes just adding a little bit of that kind of helps highlight the age of a piece and that's Mm -hmm. kind of something that i like to do is really let it be vintage and let it have that real cool aged look an effortless way so trying to use as few products but to highlight the cool parts of the piece and the and the age of the piece and i will Mm -hmm. tell you lane this is one of those finishes that your brushes come in handy in a way that i cannot even begin to tell you so this finish the first time i did it i don't believe i used your paintbrush at that time and I think one of the first paintbrushes I've gotten from you was the fan brush. Mm-hmm. It's by far my favorite. And this particular brush with this finish gives me the most smooth ever effortless look that I, I mean, there's no comparison in when I'm applying a finish um, using a different brush and this and your fan brush. I mean, it's like the perfect marriage. And so Anytime I do this finish, that is the brush I'm using. Um, it works beautifully every time. And I think the first, this first piece, I probably redid the cabinet doors a couple times. That's just part of refinishing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just, like as you're doing it, and this particular finish, you sort of have to work really fast because you're using a small amount of mm-hmm. paint. It can dry really quickly. And so if you're not quick and moving um, at a pace and your paint's drying too quickly, it's not going to look seamless. And so that's one thing that I found in using your brushes that it just allows me to lay the paint in such a way that I am not going back and redoing doors anymore. I can, and I'm more experienced, but the brush in and of itself, I feel like lays the paint perfectly for this exact finish. So That's so motivating, encouraging uh, for the whole team because we work hard to, to get those kind of results and to be able to hear that from an experienced refinisher is, is so exciting. So I know um, everybody on the team is going to be excited to hear that. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, this, this next project is an antique Victorian buffet with mirror. Um, I think it's more, uh, maybe more of a recent piece. Uh, it's an incredible combination of stain and I believe a white milk paint. It's just really stunning. First of all, where did you find this dresser? So this was one of those pieces that friend of my husband, um, it was his neighbors. This particular neighbor had lived there for many years. He, he thinks that they were original to the home, the owners, and um, mm-hmm. they were moving out and then going to um, some assisted living and they were like, we need to get rid of this piece. And he was like, I know just a person to call. So he messaged my husband and I and said, you know, I have this gorgeous piece. Will, you know, will you guys take it on? Because I don't want to see it go to the trash. And um, my husband's like, yeah, absolutely. So outside of the city um, and we went and picked it up. And yeah, it's a really cool piece. Well, when you, when you look at it and you look at the, the, the areas that you chose to paint versus stain, it's really like, um, I don't know, it's like it's in concert with each other, you know, the, the pieces, and it comes together so nicely. And the design of the front cabinet portion of those doors, 
and the the way you i don't know did you so you painted them and then i assume you used some sort of an antiquing wax or something to really highlight the design yes when we had first gotten the piece i had seen a picture and i thought immediately like there's some pieces out there that they appear to be tiger oak but have been faux painted tiger oak mm-hmm. so and i had some inclination that this could be the case but i personally have never worked on one and so we got it home and I was like, you know, I don't know if you've ever touched an old piece of furniture and it's from um, shellacs and water-based top coats mm-hmm. kind of coming together. And over the years, it almost turns into like a scaly, it feels yes. like uh-huh. um, leathery almost. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to restore it. It was a beautiful piece to begin with. And I thought it really had sat for a long time and it needed some love. So I, we did some repairs and I wanted to restain it, but I knew I needed to remove um, the top coat it had to go because mm-hmm. when you stain over that, you just get that old bubbly looking stain. So to get mm-hmm. some of that clarity, you have to remove it. And so I was getting ready to do that. And so I pulled the doors off and well, the one door wasn't even attached. And um, so I got the doors ready and I got the wood appliques off and I started to begin to try to strip just the top coat and quickly discovered that this was a piece that was faux painted tiger oak. Really? So as as the as the tiger oak grain is washing away and the tears begin to roll down my face and I'm thinking, (laughs) oh my God, what I didn't know. (laughs) Like uh, I started to begin to realize like, okay, this is a mixture of a basic oak and how am I going to at that point, I knew that all a standard oak grain, all stained, just might be too much. Mm-hmm. And so it did have some of that Victorian quality, and I didn't want it to just be overbearing. And so I was like, okay, let me get all this top coat off, and let's regroup and think. And so I, I decided I was going to stain the top, and I, I put a pin on the mirror. I was not even ready to touch the mirror. And I, so I stained the top. And I was thinking of something kind of a warm gray on the bottom. And so I had painted it kind of a more yellowy colored white and a chalk paint. Then I started on the mirror and I was like, well, surely I can't paint this entire mirror or stain the entire mirror. So I started kind of playing around and painting some of it and I would hold it up and I got it all painted and I left the um, shelf and the columns unstained because I was still debating. And so I'd hold it up, make my husband hold it up and I'd take a picture and then I would think about it for a couple days. And so then I finally stained those pieces. I thought it does look really cool. I'm going to keep a balance by staining parts of the top and having some of the base stained. Mm-hmm. And so then I got it all painted and was like, no, no, it's too, it's too yellow. I don't, I don't like my mixture of paint. And I had kind of mixed some paints together when I had done it. And, um, so then I pulled out some milk paint and I painted it in this farmhouse white, which is a real neutral white. Mm-hmm. And I wanted some of that yellowness of the other paint that I had used to kind of show through. Mm-hmm. So I had it all painted and I had it stained now and I would have my husband hold it up again and I would take pictures. <laughs> and I was like, it is just missing something. Like there's nothing special about mm-hmm. the details of this beautiful piece. And so I just started pulling out waxes and I'm like, I am going to come up with something. And so I just started mixing some waxes. So I used some, I love Miss Mustard Seed wax. So I use her wax a lot. 
Um, I do like Annie Sloan wax too. Um, and their brown waxes are very different. And so sometimes I like to mix them in together or use one and then the other to kind of highlight different areas. Mm -hmm. And so I started mixing some of those waxes and began to wax it, which gives it a whole new color. It kind of went to a kind of a gray look versus where I was originally going, which was kind of a creamy white. But it's just one of those pieces that creatively started one way and the process led us another way. And that's, you know, I think kind of what makes it organic. And, mm -hmm. um, and once the wax was really in place, I was like, that's what it was missing. It really needed to highlight the details on those doors and then really make them stand out and have that mm -hmm. real like aged look, which I think waxes do a beautiful job of. You can really make them look authentic. I mean, by doing it more intensely around a handle or mm -hmm. at the corners where maybe somebody would have touched a piece of furniture over and over again, that's where your wear and age is going to kind of come or maybe crevices on a piece of wood detailing where dust and that kind of would settle over the years or where your top coat would kind of change color there. And so I think the waxes really can do that in such an authentic way. And on this piece, it just worked really well for it. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, when you, if you ever do illustration or even painting and how you go in and you add some shadows, you know, like, especially if you're doing a pencil drawing and you go in and do some shading and how it just adds so much contrast, it makes things pop. And that's that's essentially what, what you've done with that. Do you, do you still have this piece? Did you sell it or did you decide to keep it? No, this piece actually sold and it went to a house in the city that um, a family had just bought. And so she saw it on Facebook and she was like, I have to have that. And so she contacted <laughs> me and, and we worked out the details and arrangements and we um, delivered it to her. And it's living happily back in the city or close, you know, close uh -huh. to where it probably began in the city. Right. Well, man, that's got to be a centerpiece in her home. I'm sure she's excited and happy about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this final refinishing project has uh, what I would say is kind of a Ralph Lauren look to it. It's a Victorian buffet, hand-painted in a dark, rich green with natural legs. really is a timeless piece. Share with a little bit about um, this, this particular project. Well, that is funny that you say that because I have this love for Ralph Lauren and that kind of English country decor. And so that's mm -hmm. exactly kind of what I was going for. I, I picked up this piece and I had kept thinking about this new Annie Sloan color that had come out. And, um, you know, when sometimes when something is new, people's initial reaction is to like, oh gosh, why? And so I kept reading all these comments about, you know, I'm, not, I'm a part of a lot of different Facebook groups of, about paints and seeing all these comments like oh it's so like 90s and it's so this and I'm thinking oh it's so cool like it's <laughs> that's what makes it cool it is sort of like that hunter green in the 90s like but like revamped and awesome so I, to me I was like kind of really inspired by that and so I had yeah. picked up these two huge buffets and the one was this particular one and it was a little bit more detailed and the other one was a little more simple and um so i kind of kept going back and forth and i knew i wanted to use this green on something and i kept asking my mom like mom what do you think if i paint a whole buffet green like is that gonna this isn't for somebody you know it's a little different when i have a client who says i really want 
mm-hmm. you know, a bright purple piece. Then you can paint it knowing that they're going to love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a little like, oh, do I do I paint a six foot buffet green and then try to sell it, you know? And so my mom's like, no, I think that's awesome. You should do it. And she was kind of the fan of the uh, more detailed piece. She's like, I think you should do the more detailed piece. And she's like, I think you should go all green. And I'm like, okay. And so I kind of still teetered on whether I should do that. And I had stopped into a store and saw something that totally inspired me again. Like you said that like Ralph Lauren look and I'm like, I'm doing Mm -hmm. it. I'm just going to go home and do it. And so I decided to paint it green and to do that real dark antique waxed aged look on it um, and kind of bring it into that updated English country feel do that with some of the accessories and kind of the choice of liners that I used. I wanted to kind of represent that a little bit. So we did that black and white look in the, in the cabinet doors. I totally love that look. And um, again, another piece that I feel like your brushes do such a wonderful job. I wanted some texture. Your brushes do a great job giving smooth finishes. Um, I painted this piece with chalk paint and I use your brushes to paint it and I do my painting first and then I go back and I, you know, dry brush some more paint on it in areas where I want it to pick up more wax. And then I go through and I normally wax with um, a natural bristle brush. I wouldn't wax with um, a synthetic brush, but um, so we painted the whole piece and then we went back and we really tried to age it again. Um, Like you said, almost like a shadowing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I use a combination of both waxes. Annie Sloan tends to have of a more reddish brown and Miss Mustard Seed has more of a blackish undertone in the brown. And so they really are different, but work well together, especially when you're trying to get that real old appearance. Well, I can't tell you how exciting it is, um, again, to um, to look at a piece like this, as beautiful it is, as it is, and to know that you, you used our brushes uh, on that. It's so rewarding for us as well. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Before I go on, I do have to ask you this. Do you have this piece or did you sell this piece? This one sold as well. <laughs> I'm trying to remember now what state it went to. This one went out of state and I'm having a hard time at the moment. I want to say it was either D.C. or Pennsylvania that it went to, but it went East Coast. It didn't go West uh-huh. Coast. But um, yeah, so this one, this one's far from us, but I'm sure very loved. Well, it it must be in some stately home somewhere sitting in a prideful sort of way because it really is neat. And you really do a beautiful job of combining just the right amount of paint versus stain. And you always hit the nail on the head and knowing what to stain and not to stain. It seems to me to be an incredibly challenging task. And I love the fact that you spent a lot of time helping us understand with the pieces that we've talked about, these three pieces, you know, how you went through that process to stain and and paint, because that's really one of the topics, you know, that that we wanted to highlight here was what to stain and not to stain. So you've covered that really, really well, but, but I want to develop that topic a little bit more because I want to find out, you know, with respect to the process that you go through is there any general rules that you have when you when you take a piece and you make that decision, what am I going to stain and what am I going to paint or am I going to stain the whole thing? Is there any you know, hard and fast rules that you that you go by that work well for you? I think one of the first things I do is I really consider what type of wood I have, what grain I'm working with, and is there something worth highlighting on the piece. And honestly, the more I paint, the more I 
or, or the longer, I should say, the longer I've been painting, the more I sting. <laughs> and in a, I think in a good way, I just think that I try to find or decide one, is there a grain to be highlighted? Is there something really beautiful about the wood that we can sort of renew in a modern way, um, but keep it a little bit original? And there are pieces that need some paint because they're just extremely ornate or mm -hmm. maybe they're a combination of different kinds of wood. So you know that once you kind of strip them down, it's going to feel really PC, um, restained in a more modern way. I think that some of the older stains, especially like in the forties, uh, you know, they're like very heavily stained and processed and almost to the point where you see very little grain. Um, mm -hmm. And you see that throughout time, but I think right now what's kind of really trending is seeing that grain. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm to strip a whole piece, it's different types of wood and then stain it. Is it going to feel pieced together and not a cohesive look? Mm -hmm. So that's something I consider. I do. I consider um, really the time investment and in am I going to be able to elevate the piece? So some chips to me, I, I hear sometimes people say like, oh, I never find a piece that's perfect enough to stain. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be flawless in order to mm -hmm. stain it. I think some age and, and a chip in a veneer here and there just helps the authenticity of it. But if you have a piece that is really, really rough and maybe the time invested in maybe fixing all those or, or, or re-veneering um, a piece, that cost and time might not be recoupable by mm -hmm. a business standpoint. And so I try to mm -hmm. determine, is that the right fit for us? Am I... Um, going to be able to elevate it and are we still going to be able to be profitable on that piece and then there's just times where I feel like it it's screaming one thing or another like paint me or do not paint me <laughs> <laughs> um you know and there's pieces that I've picked up thinking full-fledged I am painting this piece sometimes I tell myself like no go get that piece you haven't painted something in a long time because it feels so good to paint a full piece um Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, just go get that piece. We're going to paint that piece. And then I get it home and I start like cleaning it. And then all of a sudden it's like, you can't paint me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to paint you because you have this detailed mirror and it's going to take me 10 years to strip that mirror. And I don't think I can do it. And so I keep telling myself I'm going to paint it. And I'm, I'm thinking of a particular piece. that's actually one that we have right now. That's all stained, but I just couldn't, I could not do it. I ended up stripping the very detailed mirror and there's not one ounce of paint on this particular piece, but I had originally picked it up to paint. So it sort of depends, you know, a little bit, but mm -hmm. again, there's times where I pick up a piece and I think I'm going to stain a portion of this piece and maybe the wood grain is just not as beautiful once you remove some of um, the old finish and those pieces get painted then. And I love to use the antiquing waxes and um, tinted top coats and just to get that cool effect. But I think ask yourself, what, what type of wood do I have? Is there something really beautiful about this piece that I can highlight and possibly mix some portions of it being painted. And sometimes I'll go around and I'll paint a little bit of the frame and kind of step back and wait and look at it and say, okay, yeah, I am going to sand those two areas down and I'm going to stain them and I'm going to continue painting it. And sometimes you kind of have to go a little bit at a time 
to kind of feel out whether you're going to like the look artistically or not. I hope that helps. It's no, it does. And you're just kind of testing the ground with it. And I, that's what I was going to ask you too, because when you realize you want to stain, <clears throat> because I, I would assume to a degree, staining is a little less forgiving than paint in some ways, because you're, you're trying to highlight something underneath, whereas paint is covering up to a degree. Um, yeah, and it, so, it can be. Now, do you have any recommendations because you do so much, you know, you get these pieces in and then you strip them. Do you, I guess probably sometimes you're sanding them down to the, to the wood. And then are you also using a stripper? Uh, what, what do you do there? Is, I guess it just depends on the piece, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so we use, if it's a newer piece, um, we tend to use clean strip. It's more of a gel. Um, and it cuts through some of the newer manufactured finishes best. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, when we're working on a really old piece um, and something that has a lot of shellac on it, and maybe it's a mixture again of that shellac and something, somebody put something water-based in over it at some point and it's kind of turned into that scaly um, look. We sometimes use some denatured alcohol or lacquer thinner um, to begin to remove that. So it sort of depends and we, we test that out a little bit if we're a little unsure, but that's a mm -hmm. good general rule. If it's, if it's, you know, pre 1920s, your lacquer thinners and um, denatured alcohols will mm -hmm. likely cut through some of that finish and the newer ones, not as much. I um, mean, mm -hmm. if you pour like a little denatured alcohol on kind of a newer finish, you get that like white cloudy look and it doesn't really do very much. And you're like, Oh, bummer. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> So you, you're at that point are going to need a different type of stripper. Um, but yeah, so then we would strip them down and we do a lot of sanding. My mm -hmm. Festool stand, sander gets a ton of use. Um, mm. And I actually just picked up a newer sander. It's a little bit smaller and it has like a, one of the key things that they do is they have a soft pad, um, which is really helpful for somebody who likes to do a lot of staining, especially on some of these antique pieces with some moldings and, and different mm -hmm. curves on doors. So it kind of contours around that. So that's been kind of a fun tool to begin mm -hmm. to use. And yeah. so we've enjoyed using them. It gets a lot of use too. <laughs> I suppose a, a lot of the process, probably with every aspect of refinishing is trial and error to you figure out what works best for you and what works best for different types of pieces, because every piece is different. Well, Jillian, you have been incredibly insightful sharing about your finishing pieces and how to go about choosing what portions of a project to stain, as well as insight into the staining process itself. It's been a wealth of information. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today and for your tremendous contributions to the furniture refinishing community. All your work is truly stunning. Oh my stunning. gosh, you guys are so sweet to say that and I really appreciate it. And I just, I love your products and I appreciate um, your generosity and I love the way you um, highlight different artists and really have like a heart for that and it just it's inspiring as a business owner so thank you well that's that's so cool to hear and uh, yeah we that's so this is one of the the portions of the business that we that we really get excited about is, is working directly with refinishers and and painters of all sorts it's just it's it's truly rewarding for us as well so well thanks again thank Jillian you, you, you have a great day Okay, bye -bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Finishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at the zebrablog.com. That's the zebra with an i.com. 
Thanks for listening and happy refinishing.